in times of tyranny, in times where things get bad and get worse and get their worst, that's when the the world, the universe, at its most needs people who stand up for truth and justice. Hello and welcome back to another Mind Matters show, everybody. Well, we've had quite a year, obviously. It seems like a cliche, a trite thing to say. Oh, 2020, boy. But given that a lot of developments that we're seeing and experiencing are uh, just developing even further and uh, don't promise any kind of relief in the way that we would hope to uh, achieve and, and have, uh, I think it's safe to say that... Um, that we'll be experiencing more uh, interesting times ahead of us, uh, personal challenges, and we hope that in discussing uh, the things that we discuss here, uh, that it gives some kind of uh, solace, some food for the the mind and the the heart. Uh, some uh, some sense of virtual camaraderie uh, with you, dear listener, um, and that with your comments and your uh, participation, uh, you know, we'll continue this kind of conversation with you in a sense and get a sense for the types of things that you like to hear and uh, what's working, what isn't, among other things. So mainly... Uh, what I wanted to say along those lines is that we're learning and we're working on ourselves just like many of you are and uh, navigating things uh, to the best of our abilities and uh, doing it um, with others as as well as we can. Uh, I don't think it's um, an overstatement to, to say that uh, that there are um, hurdles and understanding and in uh, growth, if that's one of your things that you'd like to achieve that, uh, that are ahead of us. And before I ramble uh, too much more on, in that direction, uh, I'll just say that this show is going to be uh, a, a kind of year-end uh, or close to year-end um, closing thoughts, uh, little, little things that we didn't necessarily fit into other shows, things that we want to share with you, and um, and hopefully a, a little boost over the holidays uh, if if you're experiencing uh, some holiday blues or uh, or if you you just want an hour of uh, utterly uh, intellectually stimulating and uh, and engrossing uh, content like nowhere else you would find on YouTube. Of course, we're we're it, right? So, uh, with that said, uh, let's open the conversation. Let's, let's explore the ideas. Let's have an exchange here of the minds and uh, of the heart, the way we always intend to do on this, on this show, if you will. Well, one thing I want to uh, mention really quick is that I th we'll include a link in the show description. Um, over the last couple of months, I think, I got to participate in two interviews with a theoretical physicist, quantum physicist, Arcadius Yadchik, 
And so we're going to give a link to his YouTube channel where you can watch those discussions. One was on the kind of his career, his life, and questions about physics and kind of coming from a bunch of non-physicists. So it's not like we're going to get into differential equations and things like that. Um, and then the second one is on the nature of time. So those are, I recommend you check those out because Ark's a really interesting guy. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Unless you guys, did you want to talk about physics at all? Or did you want to move to something else? What do you think, what do you think about time? Time is an illusion. <laughs> well, one of the things, uh, we'll include a link to, like I said, we'll include a link to those videos into his channel, but we were discussing time, and one of the interesting things that that he brought up was, because um, in a lot of the things that he's written and, and spoken about, he he's open to ideas like time travel and, and um, non-conventional ways of looking at time. And one of his, one of his, um, one of his papers that we discussed was how to kind of incorporate time into quantum physics because apparently in, in the equations of quantum physics, time is a parameter and not an operator. And I won't try to describe that what that means because I don't <laughs> precisely know. But so he's got this really compli complicated paper on how to incorporate time into quantum physics. But at the same time, like I said, he's he, he's a, he was always a fan of science fiction and so interested in in the nature of time and the possibility of time travel and things like that, and near the end of the near the end of the discussion, one of the things he mentioned was that trying to contemplate what a timeless kind of eternal state might be, and that just got me thinking a bit after that of what the what the what what are the implications of like of that what might that mean because if you imagine a a timeless state or a timeless being, then it's almost incomprehensible to us as, you know, because time is so fundamental to our experience of being in the world. And what he said about the, about timelessness, it got me thinking about like eternity and specifically what Whitehead spoke about eternity, because one of the aspects of Whitehead's metaphysics was this this idea of, first of all, eternal objects, which he thought of as non-material things. These would be ideas or values or the, the, the abstract or numbers. Um, everything that exists and that we can think about and that seem to have some relevance to the, to the real world, but which don't take on any physical form, he called them eternal objects. These could be even like logical propositions. So every aspect of kind of abstract thought and every every abstract thing that seems to be determinative of reality in one sense or another, like a differential equation, like a mathematical formula that accurately describes the way physical objects move in space-time. And so as opposed to rejecting the reality of of mathematics and physics by saying, oh, well, that's just a, just a, a creation of... That we that we impose on on that's a creation of our own that we impose on creation. That there's nothing fundamentally real about a mathematical equation or a mathematical relationship. That's just the way we kind of put order onto the things that we see in the world. But that's fundamentally opposed to the view that there is 
um, that there is an order inherent in the universe. So it's not that we're imposing order on on the universe, it's that we're discovering an existent order. And that, so for Whitehead, that meant that uh, there was something fundamentally uh, fundamentally true and real about, let's say, mathematics, about numbers, that even though they they are abstract, they are real in a sense that they are they're not just a figment of our imagination that we impose on reality. There's something they're they're like they're the the structure that underpins the the essence of reality. Like the reason that that physical bodies move in in certain ways and in certain relationships and can be described using a a mathematical equation is because that is, that is the order inherent in the physical world. That there is a reality to the to that abstract mathematical object that exists somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so the question was, well, what is that somewhere mm-hmm. for Whitehead? And he eventually came to the conclusion that it was essentially the, the mind of God, mm-hmm. the cosmic mind. And the way he described one aspect of the of the totality of, of the cosmic mind and of kind of the of, of God was this eternal nature, this unchanging eternal I can't remember the the phrase that he that he used for it in process and real, reality, but it was something like the like the eternally or the the eternal order in the in the mind of God where all of the all of the eternal objects, all of the abstract things, ideas cohere into a, a harmonious whole. And that's the and that would be kind of the the well it's the it's the grand order that underpins the order that we see in our in our own world and which we can then discover by by finding that order through science and through various other disciplines. And so in that timeless state it's like you can't you can't compare things in a timeless state. Because in, in order to compare something, at least with our own minds, the way we understand it, you have one thing and then you have to take time to compare it to the other. There's, whenever we compare something, it's one thing and then another thing. One thing after another thing where we compare two things. But in a timeless state, they would be in a, in a constant relationship with each other that is, <clears throat> that is eternal. It's just, that's, the, that's the way it is. And so... But Whitehead also thought that there needed to be another aspect of God, which, which was receptive to and um, receptive to and could account for the change that we see in the world, because the world that we see is one of change, and one where there is no there there is nothing static. Things are constantly changing, and there's the introduction of novelty. And so, I don't have a I don't have a a grand vision or a or a you know a way to put it all together at this point you know maybe in forty years I I will but I just wanted to to throw that out as an as an interesting well I find interesting idea about the nature of reality so that would make me uh, remember like when I was really young you know like five years old or something like that I would try to imagine what eternity would be like and I would give myself panic panic attacks. Mm-hmm essentially trying to conceptualize uh, what this was uh, because it was so foreign uh, a concept that it, you can't really grasp it. And the way that you were conveying what it is that uh, eternal objects are, it exists 
because when you kind of when you have to when you think about something right so the divine cosmic mind will say right you naturally put it into a box in your head in your mind you you put it into uh into some kind of limited space that you can hold and refer to it as such but that can't be the way that it works because it it has to be a fundamental aspect of nature and reality itself some kind of like underpinning thing throughout all of reality um which is it's it's really difficult to to wrap your mind around mm -hmm. Um, but nevertheless, it seems to be the observable phenomenon. And so, you know, we try to come up with words to describe these things and, uh, you know, we can get more or less accurate depending on, you know, what level we take it at. But, um, I mean, how does that, how does that, yeah, how does that even work? Like, I don't, I don't know, but it's really cool, uh, to imagine it in that kind of a way. And also to imagine this, this realm of eternal objects, that is like receptive and responsive to mm -hmm. uh, the world within which like, or upon which is manifested. Mm -hmm. Like it has to be the fundamental. And so everything else is kind of like layers on top mm -hmm. of uh, whatever the like underlying system is. And so it, uh, you know, it gets feedback from the user interface, we'll say, yeah. uh, and responds, you know, in, in some way, shape or form which is pretty uh, interesting, uh, a way to conceptualize it. And, you know, I don't know if we would want to go into this direction or not, but it was something that came to my mind. So I was thinking also about the state of the world as it is at, at present, where it seems to be the, um, the machinations of the, you know, powers that be seeking to impose their own sort of order on things. And it, it can be very overwhelming um, emotionally because it's, it's tyranny. You know, it's an, it's an outside imposed tyranny that is uh, destructive um, and also, you know, a lot of other things. But uh, it's very easy to get caught up into this little space you know, just like when you try to think about the divine cosmic mind, you, you put it into a little bubble. The same way with, you know, thinking about, you know, a new world order takeover. Like you, you naturally imagine it as being, you know, kind of a, an all-encompassing thing of the universe. But it's really not that. When you, when you take the two and you put it together, you realize, like, this is but one aspect of the whole. Where, you know, a group of individuals are seeking to impose some sort of... Uh, evil control over a certain segment of an area, but it's not cut off. It's like no matter what they do, they'll never be able to take away that divine spark that connects us mm -hmm. to the rest of reality. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I wanted to get back to something you said earlier uh, a moment ago, Adam. You used uh, two words in particular, um, imagination and uh, conceptual. And I think that you know, great thinkers uh, like Art Yachik, um, and you know, dare I put him in the the uh, the, the 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 kind of uh, grouping with with other physicists and, and mathematicians who have tried to uh, and philosophers who have tried to map out a more or less eternal or objective um, uh, conception of reality. I think. 
I think what these thinkers have in common is imagination. And this is something that Albert Einstein spoke a little bit of, or at least he's been quoted in saying that imagination, uh, allowing your mind, uh, using perhaps some conceptual tools of prior uh, philosophers and mathematicians, building on those conceptions, uh, and allowing oneself to think through, to see uh, with the mind's eye how certain things one to the other uh, exist in relation with one another um, is is a kind of a a building block or a reaching for uh, understanding for a, a vision of how something really is and I think that you know so so often we have others uh, narratives and visions uh, their imaginings foisted uh, upon us where uh, the truth is we have only to empower ourselves uh, to a point where um, we allow ourselves to imagine how things really are for ourselves. Uh, that's true empowerment. Now, does that mean we'll get it right all the time? Uh, of course not. You know, we can imagine things based on emotional thinking or erroneous beliefs and information that just isn't correct and doesn't map to reality. Um, there, there are, I'm sure, uh, whole tracts of, of books and journals and things of, of various thinkers working out their ideas where they have to go through a lot of shit in order to get at what's mm -hmm. true or close to being true or even a, a sliver mm -hmm. of the truth or a, you know, a, a, the, the part of the elephant in the room that reflects a certain dimension of total truth. Uh, but I think, I think having the more knowledge you have of certain things, uh, the more, first of all, you realize you don't know, but it also, you know, you can, you can build frameworks for yourself and in your realizing that there isn't necessarily uh you know <laughs> there is this there is in a sense a new world order to use your example um where it exists as an interlocking group of technocrats and malevolent you know power hungry uh assholes and psychopaths who, and psychopaths <laughs> who are trying to you know uh instill and and enforce their vision of of rule and reality on on the masses and then there's this whole you know uh, a whole number of people who lack the the mental uh and and perhaps moral valued vision to see that they're a part of it we call them technocrats who, mm -hmm. who think they're doing good um so yeah i mean just using that example things are multi-dimensional Mm -hmm. and um and part of the work in using the mind is in uh looking at things upwards and downwards uh west and east inside and out esoteric mesoteric uh and and every which way you can and well 
Not good. Um, so that actually kind of brings me to where another thing that I was wanting to talk about, and I had mentioned this on a previous show, and that was the article that um, James Corbett had written some time ago uh, about like how to save the world, and you know, one something or another. I can't remember what the actual title was, but the the point of it was that the most powerful weapon uh, known to man is narrative, story. And so that ties in with, you know, what you're talking about, about mapping reality. Well, what is a map of reality, if not a narrative or a story about what is actually real and what actually exists? And so why is that important? Because it's what gives us the ability to accurately navigate and respond to the mm -hmm. situations that we're in. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very important for us to have uh, defining narratives that are accurate and true. Um, and that's another thing about like this whole, you know, COVID hysteria nonsense. Like it, it is a narrative at its fundamental core, a narrative. It's a lie, but it, you know, it's a wrong narrative. It's a false narrative, but it's nevertheless a narrative. And, you know, just look at how powerful that narrative alone is. It's been able to reshape swaths, you know, huge segments of, you know, human experience and, and human interactions. It's all been redefined along this narrative line. And so I think it's really important for us to know what's true in a metaphysical sense and be able to reshape our value structures according to that meta narrative so that way we don't get caught up into these these false narratives that would have us uh, believe lies and act on those lies. Because it, like with, with the the COVID narrative, it's, it's very uh, anxiety inducing. It, it causes us to ignore huge, you know, parts of human experience to focus solely on the, the body and your current health and just, you know, your own finite existence at one, at this one particular time. And it ignores the deeper aspect of human nature, which is that of the soul. And, and to, and it disregards that at, you know, or whoever disregards it does though at their own peril, because it's not, I mean, we already know that the, the body is a finite thing. It's, it's, you know, it's here for a certain amount of time and then it's gone. So it's not something that's lasting, but there is something that is lasting within that. And that is, you know, the soul which comes into, you know, the grander meta narrative of, you know, like what you were talking about, like what is time and how does the cosmic mind fit into everything and how does the soul comprise or interact with that mind? Like that's what's really important because if we can look at it from that angle, then it really doesn't matter what happens to our bodies. What happens, what, what's really important is how we act or how we respond to things. It, it matters whether we're being truthful, honest, um, with each other, with ourselves. It matters if we're standing up for, for truth and justice. Uh, it matters if we are standing up against tyranny and lies. That's what, that's what matters. If we get caught up into this narrative that the only thing that matters is, is our body and whether or not we live to see tomorrow, we've lost. We've lost who we really are as people. Mm -hmm. and, and we can't, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know... Uh, so that was just kind of like the overview of things. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll just add, it's no coincidence, I, I don't think, that the, the same proponents of this soft tyranny 
are or have uh, political and social leanings that tend towards uh, nihilism and and postmodernism and identity politics and uh, all kinds of Died in the wool lies mm-hmm. about the nature of uh, social relations and economics and climate change and uh, political affiliations. All and- of these little mini narrations that that coalesce into further cutting off human beings from what is essentially eternal and 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 confining us more into our own little finite. Uh, views of reality and our own like finite bodies. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things you mentioned to Adam was um, people uh, like the fear aspect and the anxiety producing aspects of this. But there's also, I mean, even for the like the skeptic side of the population, there's an, there's the danger of hopelessness and um, and even apathy and kind of just shutting off and and shutting out reality when you have a even when you have a good grasp on it right because when you when you can see some when you can see a horrible situation and you don't think that it will it, it can just reinforce the idea that life is meaningless um, if you don't have that wider map of meaning that wider meta narrative and that's why that's why i think it's important to speculate and and ponder on the the deeper questions and the the things like what is the bigger picture that we're in just like to to use a kind of a microcosm you can we can look at math again you can live in in a tiny world where math has no meaning for you and where you can imagine a society that has no understanding like no no developed understanding of of mathematics and by cutting yourself off from that that fundamental like Fund- that fundamental information or language that that determines the structure of reality naturally your experience is going to be truncated you're going to be you're you're cut off from a segment of reality now when you when you discover math when you can um like divine its secrets that opens up all kinds of possibilities not only to just a general understanding of the world but actually actual practical applications of math which we've seen the the advance of in the last um, well, in the hist- just in the history of mathematics and civilization, <clears throat> so this looking at looking at things in terms of of the the idea of an eternal order or or even an eternal ideal and uh, a universal ideal, it on the one hand relativizes your existence. It's like okay, you're just one part of a of a of a huge uh, of a like ginormously large structure one giant story and you're just this bit part on the other hand you are an important part of that of that story and uh, and there's so there are things more important than you and there's an importance to your own existence and what you and what you do with it so but then, then you can place yourself into the story and i was reminded of the conversation we had with rod dreyer about um soft totalitarianism and the experience of all the all those Eastern Europeans that he interviewed and and talked with, and how some of them some of them could see what was coming and were prepared, right? But the the experience of such a drastic change in 
in life and not only a way of life, but just life in general, um, a negative change, you know, sometimes the worst possible change was reinvigorated their, their faith, right? Because, because when you, when you're surrounded by so much evil and it's just in your face, then you start seeing what's actually important or you start rediscovering what's actually important and what actually can provide that, that, that map of meaning, that narrative in which to, in which to navigate. Well, and that's what it gives you. It gives you the ability to navigate without that map. You can't navigate things. So if you, this comes back to what I think what you were saying, Alan, about gaining as much knowledge as possible, because when you, when you look at everything, everything possible, you kind of, you prepare yourself for a lot that you wouldn't otherwise be prepared for. So, um, like, even though I don't think any of us saw this, you know, pandemic situation coming, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge surprise, I think, for any of us, just because, um, you know, reading history and reading about similar types of things, it was like, okay, now you can see how the pieces kind of fit together. But for some people, it just, it would have, it would have, and it did come out of nowhere, right? That's that, what Peterson would call, you know, getting plunged into chaos, where all of a sudden, though, you're, you're not living in the same world you were previously, and you have no idea how to cope with it, how to deal with it, because you're totally unprepared. So learning thinking, um, learning history, and, and just, well, you know, as everything, as much as possible, prepares you for, for life, prepares you for that encounter with the unknown. And if you work and you are caught unawares by a, a situation in life, then every situation can then be, can either retro, retrospectively or, you know, in the process be fit into that wider narrative. And the, what the, the, at the, at the basic root of it is, is that, um, there is something more important and bigger than you. And so, like, like you were saying, Adam, it may not really matter if you, you know, if you die or not, because the, because your life can have meaning and there can be, there can be meaning in death and there can be meaning of life. Of course, that's the way most of us find it, <laughs> but it, I think that, that having that wider, that wider worldview, that wider view of the world, it gives you, it gives you something, it, give, it gives you the the ability to now place your life into something that that is meaningful. So, a an individual or a small group living in, um, you know, what could be considered the the worst kind of totalitarianism can find meaning in life, and actually to find more meaning in life than those who are just, um, kind of at the mercy of the the powers that be, at, at their mercy, but also the um, like the other side of that coin being. Uh, you know, you have the intense suffering of the people who are going through absolute tyranny. And then you have people who are, you know, living the high life, living the good mm -hmm. life, you know, and life is pretty easy and pretty simple. Um, I think you can find a lot more meaning in that, in that struggle and that suffering. And that, and I think that was something that uh, some of the people that Roger interviewed had even mentioned, right? It was that like they, that was like the most meaningful time of their lives or was it something to that effect? Something like that. That might have been the interpretation of their that, that he was giving on their on their lives. I don't remember. Maybe that. Well, it sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I did just want to add something to what you were saying, Harrison, and that is that you know you talk about knowledge uh, having some in some way mitigating the effects of a lot of uh, challenges and adversities, 
And I think there's a lot to that. Uh, being able to name uh, certain things as we see it, uh, being able to identify uh, the, you know, the the uh, disagreeable uh, lady in the supermarket who's scowling at you for not wearing a mask, and understanding consciously what that's all about, even if it is a little jarring in the moment, uh, that can have a mitigating effect. Um, you know, it's it's all of this, and and by way of saying that we can be proactive uh, in in taking the time to consider uh, what we know and what we're seeing right in front of us. Um, it's not as easy as uh, what I just said would, would suggest it to be necessarily. We're, we can still be shocked by changes and, and adversity in the environment, but the, uh, the, the, the fortitude that we forge within ourselves to look at it and to and to experience it and to face it and to know it and to understand it and to respond appropriately in such a way that we're not going to be uh, too badly affected by it is I think uh, one of the orders of the day because uh, we, we can, you know, we can see uh, there, there are always different paths we can go by. We can react to something in exactly the wrong way. Uh, we can make a muddle and a and a difficult situation out of something that can easily be circumvented or avoided or responded to with a little bit of insight or uh, or or consideration or um, or smarts street smarts uh, if if that's the case so uh, there there are many possibilities many ways we can go in in difficult situations. And um, the one of the tasks of the day is, you know, like you were saying, is to kind of do our best to anticipate where knowing not only what is existing outside of us, but where our own triggers and buttons and vulnerabilities and weaknesses lie. Knowing ourselves well enough to to say, hmm, I'd better shore up my defenses right now, or I'd better put on my, I better not be dissociating at this time in particular because this might be a, a special situation that I need to uh, handle uh, with care. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's obvious, some pretty obvious advice, of course, um, that I say as much to anybody else as I do to myself. Um, but the more we know and the more we know about ourselves, I think the, the better uh, position will be to navigate through the tough stuff. Slight change of direction. I want to read something from um, this book. Uh, Matt Arrett recommended it. It's uh, Max Planck's The Philosophy of Physics. And I just want to read something interesting and discuss it a bit. And this kind of has relevance to what we've been talking about, and it'll also have relevance to uh, um, some things we will discuss. But he's talking about the the relation in this section. He's talking about the relation between um, different branches of of our intellectual life. Um, so he's he's saying there's no distinct, clear cut that can be made between like science, religion, and art, for instance. So he's talking about the place of ethics now in physics. 
So he says, here again, physics takes up a strong position. Scientifically, it is based on the principle that it must contain no contradiction, which in terms of ethics implies honesty and truthfulness. And these qualities are valid for all civilized nations and for all time. So that this scientific principle may claim to rank among the first and most important of virtues. And he says, I do not think that I exaggerate in saying that that an infraction on this ethical demand is discovered and repudiated more quickly and certainly in physics than in, than in any other science. I'll go on and read a little bit more, but just to comment on that, this is, this is something that I think a lot of people don't consider when they're, when they're thinking about what science is. And um, I'll just follow the science, right? Well, there's a... <laughs> There are underpinnings to even the, 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 the first step in doing science. And that has to do, that the, the, there is an ethical, even like a, a, a moral, there's a value structure that underpins the very act of discovery and doing science. And I mean, on a very obvious practical level, it's being honest about the results that you have, right? Um, because you can't have science if you're making up your data. Um, well, we can get into that, but um, so I, w- I want to continue on. He says, the harm begins when there is an intention to deceive the other party and to convey to him a faulty impression. It is the duty of those who work in responsible positions to reform this matter ruthlessly, as well as to set an example worth following. So just think about that. that like, I mean, it's pretty simple, but it was kind of... Uh, it was kind of a, a revelation reading it because, well, on the one hand, it's so obvious, but it's nice to have it yeah. have it put into words. Mm-hmm. Is that just think about the the how fundamental like truth and lies are, um, honesty and deceit in even in even science. There's a fundamental a fundamental requirement for honesty in the in the the process of in in the science in in science mm-hmm. in in general. And so then he goes on. Justice is inseparable from truthfulness. Justice, after all, simply means the consistent application in practice of the ethical judgments which we pass on opinions and actions. So there's this link between truth and justice. And again, we can see examples of the failure of that um, today. I won't, I won't give any like super specific examples, but in order to be just, you have to be you know, truthful about your actions, for instance, because it's very easy to hold a hold an ethical position. How does he put how, how does he put it? Um, the ethical judgments which we pass on opinions and actions. So, to hold an ethical judgment, you could call that a law or a recommendation or a uh, a mandate, and then um, and then put that into and and then put that into practice. And without a consistent application, there is no justice. So, of course, um, it's very easy to see all kinds of um, examples of injustice in the world today. I'll just, I'll just leave that there. And what made me think about that was um, what you said, Adam, about uh, about truth. Uh, how did you put it? Tr- truth and just truthfulness and justice. Um, you mentioned that in uh, you know in the previous discussion we were having, and that's all I. W- that's all I wanted to read from Planck, but um, I wanted to apply that to, to something else. Because here he's, he's talking about 
science specifically, but it goes further than that. And because science is just one slice of intellectual life and one slice of, you know, being itself and life itself, um, it's, but truthfulness and honesty being that what, as he calls it, among the, the first and most important of virtues, therefore would apply to all aspects of, of life. And this is what came out in our discussion of Erturul, you know, on our own and with, um, and with Matt, that, and it's one of the explicit kind of morals of, of the show of Erturul is, is the, the primacy of truthfulness and justice. And in the show that plays out with a whole lot of dishonesty and injustice in just coming from all directions, right? It's almost it's almost overwhelming, but it's it's survivable. It's um, it's bearable because of the presence of the presence. Well, the hope for and the presence and the, and the even the temporary coming of of truth and justice. When the truth comes out, when justice is is justly served. Dual, <laughs> justly served. Um, Often with a you know a sword to the a sword to the neck, um, but how do I want to put this? Or do you want to take off on that? Well, just a little bit. Um, one of the ways in which justice gets satisfied in the show is by constantly invoking and reaching out to the higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be through the intermediary of Ibn Arabi or the protagonist Erdarul praying with with all of his being for guidance, for assistance. Mm-hmm. And, and always holding those as the ideal. Yes. Uh, you know, you have to wonder if the people who are, the individuals who are fighting the good fight, uh, some of whom we think we know, some of whom we probably don't know, if there is a conscious effort at appealing to the assistance of, you know, the higher cosmic mind or, or God or uh, Jesus or, or Buddha or whoever it is that they hold higher than themselves. Uh, and there might be individuals who have an innate uh, compass that, that draws them to do just doing the right thing without any kind of um, uh, reverence of, of a higher uh, being. Uh, but it, it is interesting to my mind to know of certain leaders who are religious people who do make a point of supporting religious institutions and of, <clears throat> and of praying and of uh, acknowledging um their own uh, station beneath those intelligences or intelligence that is above them, and um, it's a it's an act of humility that we're that's been kind of squeezed out of many Westerners. Mm-hmm. That if we've our our conceptions of uh, reality have been so warped and, and twisted into the uh, material, the, the materialistic worldview, uh, 
that there there's little to no space or understanding or tradition um, that has that's been uh, encouraged or uh, nurtured uh, within the Western individual. In fact, it seems like everything is going in the opposite direction, where the the God is the ideology or the technology mm-hmm. or the you know the acquisition of uh, you know more material goods and and it's a very uh it's a very destructive uh direction that that we see people falling into mm-hmm. um un, unbeknowing to themselves even because we're we're swimming in you know the the lies of postmodernism we're we're drenched in the the morass of uh of lies that tell us that that things are a certain way uh and that not only to believe that it's differently uh would be that you know well i'm I'm muddling this a little bit but to to have a different point of view would be heretical basically Mm -hmm. and and heretical in the sense of of the scientific materialists and and certain schools of thought so you're there there's not only this black box of information these lies by omission that exist that we're that we're inside of but when you when you do seek to to reach out into certain truths and areas there are these firewalls these uh uh, psychological operations there are these attacks um that people are afraid to be uh affected by i think um and this gets back to what you were saying regarding science harrison because uh there there is this whole political uh careerist um, materialist dimension to uh, just even allowing scientists to think in a certain direction that you know that bucks the the orthodoxy of certain ideas and uh, and I guess um, yeah so it's uh, I mean it's I think something that maybe I've said or we've said before it's a uh, it's a very sad state in the the Western culture right now that religion has been so gutted and demonized because that was one really good thing about it was the fact that it did ostensibly hold that honesty and truth and justice were uh, values of the utmost importance. And it's it's a presupposition of, of science in order for it to work properly, that, that these must be true as well. And that's, it's so simple, but at the same time, it's like, it's great to hear him actually like say like, you know, that, or to hear Planck say that, you know, this is a a truism of science is that, uh, you know, truth and honesty are values of the utmost importance because without them, science cannot be done. And it's the, the same way with religion. It's, uh, truth and honesty must be utmost mm-hmm. because without it there can be nothing um, and it is 
it's just it's a very sad thing that that that's what's happened within Western culture. And there's and there's been so many different developments in so many different areas that's all been pushing in this one direction. Uh, make of that what you will. Um, but it's the gutting would be bad enough. But it's not just the gutting of religious institution and religious belief, um, the belief in something higher, transcendental realities. But it's a, it's also the replacement of that with fundamentalist scientism mm -hmm. of the materialist sort that is completely cut itself off from wide swaths of information. Like that, can't, it's it's not fundamentally scientific because it's not even because it's opposed to truth. Because, like you said, they, you can't say this. You can't look into psi research because then you're labeled a quack. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can't look at um, action at a distance because then you're a quack. Mm -hmm. And that's not true because, you know, we know nature is material. And so it's, it's, a, it's a scientism that's not really scientific. And so it's... <laughs> It's just like layers upon layers of bad. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned the gutting of religion. And one aspect of that is, and this comes out in, uh, what was the book that Bob Altemeyer wrote? Uh, Amazing Conversions, I think. And it was, a, it was about athe or religious people that become atheists. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, one of the common things about, about people that lose their faith is because of the value of truth because they they they've been well i think part of it is innate this there's something innate about humans to to value truth and part of that a small part i think just has to do with the nature of reality itself if you if you don't value objectivity and truth on some level then you know how are you going to brush your teeth if you you know if you if you're either constantly doubting that that's actually your toothbrush or you or you can't tell, right? There needs to be some match between perception and reality in order to interact with the world. So there's at a very basic like at a very basic level there is uh, a a need for that understanding of truth and that valuing of of truth. Um but on top of that you have people raised in a in a religious environment where truth is the the highest value, especially well particularly for for us and you know in our civilization in Christianity about uh, you know I am the truth. So if you value truth and then you see something in the Bible or from your from your pastor or from like your 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 official church dogma that just doesn't seem true, then what do you do with that? You can either continue to value truth and leave behind that belief or that that um that specific that belief or yeah, dogma. Yeah. Or you can say, oh, well, no, I'm going to ignore the truth, ignore what I see as the truth, and just come back into the, the fold, basically. So I'm either going to um, like mentally castrate myself or cut myself off from, you know, from, my, from my tradition. And the problem with that is that both those, there are advantages to both, but they, but they're both the wrong decision. I think. Well, mm -hmm. You know, I can't judge everyone's uh, everyone's choices in life. Well, maybe I can. <laughs> but uh, but there there is a a middle way, like because it, it's what you mentioned about the the gutting of religion. The essential aspect, I think, or for me, the most important is is the gutting of 
just the conception of a mm-hmm. of a higher reality yes. and of a a place within the world which you don't need like you don't need a a specific religious dogma to get there it can provide the the framework but i think where where the church the the churches and not only in christianity but all over the place have have failed in the last couple hundred years is and i don't know if this is just inevitable um is well they they're they're out of date mm-hmm. you know the a lot of the they're out of date from us from a certain perspective um approaching a religion or, or like let's say like catholicism or any type of like any type of christianity from you can't have the exact same structures and understanding that you had 500 years ago today yeah. it just it's not going to work mm-hmm. um you need to update with the times now the tricky thing is finding out what's essential to keep what can what can still be um interpreted in a way to be true without falling without going in another direction where you have a lot of just anemic um anemic religion from top bodies where they they kind of have they they still have the the official dogma that's been around for you know generations hundreds thousands of years but they they hollow it out themselves by um like there are a lot of for instance like catholic scientists or something who are totally behind darwinism it's like well no you can't well so from the fundamentalist position you can't be a christian and actually believe in darwinism but that doesn't mean you have to believe in creationism or something like like a lot of the the, the fundamentalist churches but so far no one in no institution has been able to find that that middle ground mm-hmm. and I don't, so i don't even i don't know if it's possible I, well i think it is possible like anything's possible i think that and you can find individuals you can find um you know priests and and thinkers and writers all over the place that seem to understand this but you don't but it doesn't trickle down to the you know through yes. the institution to to make a to make to, to basically be able to reinvigorate any you know any any church body um so there's that to consider that there there is a lot of stuff worth leaving behind when it comes to to church dogma and um to to beliefs that have like accreted on accreted over over time but then again to like there there is this almost insoluble problem of by by doing that you do you do gut the tradition in a sense and you do cut yourself off from the traditions so um well one of the reasons i like um jonathan pajot and his channel is uh, cuz he's an orthodox christian but he is he's very open about like how he sees sees certain things symbolically um of course you know as a christian i think judging from some of the things i've i've watched from him so i'm i you know i might be misrepresenting him in some way i hope i'm not but in one discussion of his he was talking about kind of like the the levels of church belief and and how he's t- he talks on a this kind of rarefied symbolic level where there's meaning like kind of hidden meanings or extra meanings to to all these things going on and i think he was answering a question about this and he he talked about well so so how does how does that apply to going to church right when when they're just 
just laying out the the simple stories and not giving any of the the hidden the the extra meanings that actually go go deep and and say well maybe this isn't totally true in this sense but this is what it might actually mean um and he says well it's that's just part of life you go into church and you've got your 90 year old grandma that's that's in church she's a not going to understand necessarily what you're talking about because she hasn't had any preparation for it she's got what she believes and she gets what she needs going to church like so for for him church was kind of like uh an agreed upon structure where everything everyone can get something but there are levels of understanding within any church and he, I think he was speaking specifically about just one church, you know, with, I don't know, a congregation of dozens to hundreds. And there are, there are levels, there are levels within a church because there are levels within every human being. So, well, within, yeah, with, within that church, each individual will be at a different level. So there can be levels of understanding and it may just be that the tradition is necessary for a certain you know, segment of the population that's born into it. And that's, that's all that they, for whatever reason, from, from their upbringing, um, that that's, that's what they need. And that's what, that's all that the, really the church can provide for them, which is a lot, mm-hmm. but you can, for him, he can be part of that church and to, to see things on a different level that a lot of the, the people, you know, in the congregation might not even care about or so, it's just a, a really, uh, it's a really complex situation and phenomena to deal with. Well, what I what I hear you saying is that Bourgeau brings something of himself to his experience of the church. Mm-hmm. He has his own, uh, he's fleshed out ideas to make them understandable and relevant and meaningful, not only to himself, but to the people who watch his programs on YouTube. And he has... He has allowed uh, the experience of going to church, of praying with the congregation, to um, to become his own. He has made it his own. Uh, on the subject of you know the individuals in the church um, who who are mapping or not mapping to reality uh, objectively been very interesting to to read the news uh over the past several months where you you know you have this um representative of former representative of the uh of the of the church in rome uh to the u.s coming out and and quite literally spelling the political struggle in the u.s in religious terms and in ways i think um, and in a framework that, even if I don't agree with it 100%, makes a great deal of sense. Uh, and it suggests to me that this guy is walking the walk. I think his name is Vignoli, or I, for, I forget his name. But there is uh, there has been this ability demonstrated by him to look at the uh, social developments in the U.S. and 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 put them in very uh, critical and meaningful terms that are an acknowledgement of values that are uh, for him very real and for a lot of people quite real. Um, and then you know you read a story about uh, the Pope, you know, 
making all kinds of affirmations about uh, COVID and, and, and all of the kind of respective policies and, um, and great reset developments that he seems to be aligning himself with uh, that are uh, not, you know, aligned to truth, that are not aligned to the higher values that we would hope someone in his position would uh, connect to and, and be a proponent of and be a champion of. So he has, and who knows if it isn't just a, you know, political ploy that he feels compelled to do at this time because that's where he sees things are going. Uh, but it does seem to be a, a position of, of convenience that he's allowed himself to fall into as opposed to coming out and, and saying something like this representative to the, the U.S. I think he was either a cardinal or an archbishop, some, something very high uh, in, in the church, some great position. So it seems like a lot of the things that we're looking at and facing and the decisions that we have to make are, are quite personal, that these choices of what we're going to believe and think and, and how we're going to act based on those things are all kind of in, in your face. I mean, it, it's, you know, what are you going to do? How easy are you going to make it for yourself? Um, obviously, we want to choose our battles carefully. Uh, we have limited resources and power in an external way. Uh, but we also want to get, we also want to make these choices for ourselves. And like you were saying earlier, find this kind of middle way uh, that doesn't, at the very least, feed into those developments that are largely destructive and detrimental. Um, and uh, again, yeah, Rod, Rod Dreher in uh, Live Not By Lies, I think, lays it out quite nicely. Well, I, I want to bring it back. Well, that's a, that title is a good transition, Live Not By Lies. So we talked about truth and justice and... Um... <clears throat> importance for science and and in, in earth rule and so i was thinking about earth rule as you were talking elon good and uh in <laughs> and it, i could do that it's a great well the the thing is the conflicts the root conflicts that come up in the show are basically about truth and justice it's not about the the minutiae of of islamic doctrine or anything like that it's this person is being an evil son of a bitch and he's lying and he's framing people and he's like planting seeds of dissent and he's just doing the most treacherous stuff imaginable or she and and that's the the issue it that it it it's it comes down to something much more fundamental so i think i think that's the that's really the middle ground well f for me that's the that's the fundamental if someone holds surface what i consider surface level beliefs that that i think are tr aren't true of course you know i i you know from my perspective valuing truth i want to know that i want to know well is that belief true but if they are like on a on a more fundamental level like where things actually matter like not what they think about something but how they actually interact with the world if they are doing that from a perspective of of truthfulness and and um, and justice, then I can respect that person. 
And if they're not, if there's a person that holds all the beliefs that I think are true and yet acts in a deceitful manner or unjustly, then, you know, which one am I going to pick as a friend or, or someone that I actually want to interact yeah. with? Right. It's going to be the person who, ha- who I think has crazy beliefs, who's actually a decent, uh, person. A decent person, a virtuous person. Now, ideally, you, you know, you could find people and inculcate both of those things, right? To, to, um, to have someone, yeah, to, to, to go all the way. But, uh, of course, you know, who, yeah. who, who am I to, who are you to judge? To judge. And to, well, you've got, um, yeah, just the, it's not impossible to have both because I'm, and even even then, you know, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I would totally pick the person who was, you know, at their core, valued truth and justice and honesty mm-hmm. versus somebody who, you know, told me all these things, you know, that I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. But those are just lies, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't trust them. But if, you know, I, we still hold wrong beliefs. Yeah. We don't, we may not know what they are, but okay. you, there are beliefs that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who you are, what you think, it's yes. you've got something that's wrong. So exactly. um like I would want somebody to extend that hand of friendship to me based on the fact that like, yeah, I might be wrong, but I'm willing to, you know, admit that I'm wrong and, and to value truth and honesty and, and to work towards it mm-hmm. regardless. So like it I would want that, you know, a, a extended to me. Mm-hmm. And so I would you know, I'm right there with you, I'll extend it to others as well. Yeah. Because that's that's just what's the you know, the right yeah. thing to do. That reminds me of one more thing from Ertrul. <laughs> Speaking actually, of Ertrul. Yes, that I wanted to bring up. Well, I, I think you, you can tell from the last few weeks, the best thing about 2020 for me was Ertrul. <laughs> you know? Agreed. Yeah. But one of the, one of the great dynamics that they sh- show in, in the series is you see it just starkly depicted, like it's, it's right there in your face, and that is what believing in lies looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why it's such an engaging show, and why it can be so frustrating. Uh, I think I mentioned this on when we talked about it uh, a few, you know, several weeks ago. Is when you see a character who you know is believing a lie because you're in on all the information, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just so entrenched in thinking that they're right, and to the point where they'll believe, let's say, something bad about another character that they did something that they had some intention that's totally wrong. It's just been this idea has an impl- implant has been implanted in them from um, one of these treacherous characters, and now they so they think they know the truth, mm-hmm. and then they 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 can be just total assholes about it. It's twisted. Yeah, and to the point where um, the character who is in the right might be having a conversation with them, and of course the the person believing lies doesn't like the person in the right because of the the lies that they believe about them. And they'll just be giving them like these smug looks and these uh, like these nasty comments because they think they're right, mm-hmm. and and all the while you're what I'm thinking is, oh geez, you know, if only we could all sit together and watch <laughs> Air to Rule and then think about ourselves and be like, do I ever do that? You know, do I ever assume that I'm right about a situation or right about someone and then just treat them like crap without actually knowing? The truth, you know, it's um, because you see it, you see it all the time. You see it played out on a on a macro social level, mm-hmm. unfortunately, with people believing a big lie 
and then treating other people like dirt because they think they know the truth when they don't. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so. But that's something that uh, also gets contrasted in the show. Like, I'm thinking of one particular scene, right, where this plays out, where, you know, one set of characters is just mean mugging and, you know, being vile and vicious. And then there's Erturul. And his response to that is to be kind and mm-hmm. generous and forgiving. It's the fruits of the spirit, really. Yeah. You know, you can see, like, the, you know, by their fruits you shall know them. Like, this group of characters thinks they know the truth. And the fruits of that, quote unquote, truth yeah. is just vile and vicious and just mm-hmm. disgusting. Whereas, you know, Ertrul is able to come at it and just, you know, this beautiful, you know, sweet, um, I don't even know how to describe it other than, you know, just, uh, you know, a, an honest forgiveness mm-hmm. that is soothing to the soul because it, it's despite the suffering that he's having to, to, to go through because they believe these lies. He's, he's having to go through some intense suffering, but despite all that, he doesn't let it twist him. Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead. Well, just a, just a, one other dimension to the lies that we see in Erdorul, uh in these treacherous characters is, and I think it's one of the most instructive things about the show, is that these baddies, these are real baddies, by the way, folks. The, these are <laughs> the worst these are, bad boys, bad boys. These are some d- despicable characters that are very well conveyed and acted and written for this show. And what they do, scene after scene after scene, is they lie to other characters. Blatant lies. We know their lies. And what it's a reminder of, to me, is that there are people in this world who exist who Mm -hmm. do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they're very powerful. They lie through their teeth. And they don't care. It doesn't matter. And you can read about it in, in a book uh, about psychopathy, and you can also see it so well played out in a show like Erdorul that, again, it's just an incredible reminder that there are people who they can lie to themselves about a situation, they can lie to the world, but there, there's a lack of humanity. There's a lack of conscience that exists to such a degree, and and these people exist. They they run things in in certain quarters. They make decisions for millions of people. They uh, they have power uh, to affect change in ways that that we don't always realize, because they are so incredibly comfortable with lying. To others, so I think you mm-hmm. wanted to. Add I just wanted to, to, yeah, to add two short examples of um, the the response of like the the good characters in in the show in Ertrul. One example from the main character Ertrul is that sometimes he'll be interacting with a character who um, either believes lies or is just antagonistic and is just spewing vile at him, and he'll just be. What's the best word? Like equ- equanimous, equin, 
equanimity. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll display just a a total like just a presence where he just won't respond. He'll just listen to what they say and then move on to the next situation because he knows that there's nothing he can say to change their mind, and he just has to be patient because eventually the situation will change. I, like either either justice will be served out or the truth will be revealed. But he can't do anything at the moment, so he just he he um um approaches the situation with a just a sense of calm and like with his own like reserved nature mm-hmm. because uh cause, yeah because he knows he's th- he he knows there's nothing he can say in that moment but the another example is with a character from season 3 I'll get, you know it's not really a spoiler but it's his name's Aliar and some people close to him you know believe bad things about him and the approach that he has is just is is just sadness and like compassion and empathy for the people for those people close to him believing lies to the point where you know he's all, he's almost crying and just saying i hope that you know one day you know the basically the the lies will leave your system that you'll come to your senses and you'll see what the truth is um because he he's another character with a you know a strong sense of justice and truthfulness um to the point where he'd be you know he is willing to to, to go against like what his father you know says to do or you know what the the direction of his family if he thinks it's fundamentally wrong and of course that creates some conflict but but he holds he 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 kind of kind of pities I don't, I don't think pity's the right word he um he's just disappointed in seeing the in seeing the the effect of of this in the in the people that he loves mm-hmm. that um and and the way he approaches that is just to kind of be like you know he'll do what needs to be done but he's he's um he's just saddened by the by this fact of life that that this happens that you know people can believe believe such lies and then it can twist them and twist their actions and and twist their values mm-hmm. and the the course of their life in such a way like it's it's like watching it's watching someone else's life that you know, right? That's going. He's going. They're going in a bad, on a bad way, mm-hmm. on a bad path. And all you can do is kind of like shake your head and be like, "Oh, geez, you know, this isn't gonna, this isn't going to turn well, turn out well." Mm-hmm. And nothing I say is getting through to them. So you just kind of have to watch it happen until they're ready to see the truth about their own situation. So, um, well, if I can, um, there was one thing that I was kind of wanting to talk about, and. Uh, it popped into my head earlier. It's a song by Enter Shikari, and the song is called Hello Tyrannosaurus Meet Tyrannicide, uh, which is kind of like a play on Tyrannosaurus Rex and Tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a it's an int- interesting song. I really enjoy it. Um, but there's a line in there, uh, well, a couple of lines for the chorus, where it's, um, you know, Hello Tyrannosaurus Meet Tyrannicide. You haven't ha- read your history, have you? just regurgitated lies um and you know there's another line in there and then the you know the final line of the chorus is um empires always fall and that was what popped into my head earlier was empires always fall and so you know kind of like with aliar and how he has to deal with you know all of the the lies of the people around him with equanimity i think we should equally you know, act along the same lines with the situation as it stands in the face of all the lies and the tyranny. 
live with some equanimity knowing that empires will and have always fallen like it, it every single one has collapsed doesn't matter which one you look at or what time period they have always fallen and this one is just another empire same as it ever was uh led by some psychopaths some greedy malevolent people and you know they may think that they've got everything under control and under wraps and they're gonna you know have this great power and be able to control for the rest of eternity but it it never plays out the way that they think it will and they it, it's always collapsed so we can take comfort in knowing that you know even if we don't see it or you know even if we don't know how it will happen we know truth always prevails and the the thing well relating this back to this overarching narrative or story in times of tyranny and in times where things get bad and get worse and get their worst that's when the the world the universe at its most needs people who stand up for truth and justice yes and so when you're when you're surrounded by things going wrong and the the worst kinds of treachery that's when truth and justice are required the most even if you can't you know even if you can't make waves even if you can't do a lot you there there needs to be probably a certain number of people in the world who at least feel those values deeply and stand up for them in their lives in whatever ma- in a, in whatever way they are able to mm-hmm. doesn't mean you know necessarily starting a revolution or something but like those like those christian dissidents that Rod Dreher talks about who just in their own lives are able to to find meaning and give meaning to to other people and to to kind of find that place within the the tyranny mm-hmm. um which contributes i think eventually to the to the death of that tyranny well i think that's an excellent place to end the show and uh we look forward to bringing you more mind matters in the coming year we're not sure yet if we'll be having a show around New Year's. Uh, I am thinking that we should probably start a separate channel um, that's uh, about... <laughs> Completely devoted to Arturo. Yes. <laughs> analysis. Uh, just kidding. Obviously, it's made a, a, a very big impact on us and um, and is a kind of uh, dramatization of, of the things that we hold dear. Um, but in any case, folks, we're hoping that you have a wonderful Merry Christmas and holiday and... We're hoping that you're all doing as well as can be and have enjoyed the show. And we look forward to bringing you a new one very soon. Thanks.